This uh, season of Advent comes at a much-needed time for me, as I'm sure uh, it does for you as well. Uh, Now, for all you smart guys out there, yes, I know it comes at the same time every year, but Advent brings an especially timely message for me this year. Uh, In the season of Advent, we not only look back to the birth of Jesus, recognizing how his coming changed the world forever, we also look forward to his return, embracing the anticipation and eagerness we feel for God to call us home. Advent reminds us every year, as the classic hymn says, this world is not our home, we're just passing through. And so Advent speaks of Uh, Four different things, hope, peace, joy, and love, and how the true nature of these things are revealed in the coming of Christ and in his hopeful return. This message is timely for us because there have been a few events this year that have challenged us in our understanding of where to find hope, peace, joy, and and love. We could go on and on and on and on and on about how 2020 has been a challenging year and continues to be a challenging year. Much has been said to this end, and we continue to experience new things on an almost daily basis. But one of the things that really spoke to me this week was the Washington Post did a review of a new fitness tracker from Amazon. Uh, I believe that this product is the product, really, that sums up the year. And here is what the Washington Post wrote about this product. Amazon has a new health tracking bracelet with a microphone and an app that tells you everything that's wrong with you. You haven't exercised or slept enough, reports Amazon's $65 Halo band. Your body has too much fat. The Halos app shows in a 3D rendering of your near-naked body. And even your tone of voice is overbearing or irritated. The halo determines after listening through its tiny microphone on your wrist. We hope our tone is clear here. We don't need this kind of criticism from a computer. But this is the gift that 2020 is bringing us, something that we can wear that criticizes everything about us, including how we sound. It's a rough time. Now, spiritually speaking... And this is going to seem a little bit counterintuitive, but there is good that comes from living through a year like the one we have had, if we choose to accept the good. The good is that the world has clearly revealed itself to be a flawed environment, the flawed environment it's always been. And as the shine has been removed, it becomes harder and harder for us to convince ourselves that this world can offer what we need. And it can raise up in us, in our hearts and in our souls, a longing for something that transcends the trouble and heartache that we find here. We want hope, peace, joy, and love, but Especially right now, we keep asking ourselves, where are we going to find it? As the years progress, we've kept saying, well, when this happens, or when that happens, or when this comes, or when that comes, and yet the year has continued to snowball. 
and become this runaway train that just seems to be heading more and more and more out of control. So last week we talked about hope, and, and this week we focus on peace. And the timely question that we need to ask ourselves this week is this, how do we find peace, like true, real, honest-to-goodness peace in the middle of such chaos and uncertainty? Because if there is one thing that most of us probably feel a lack of right now, it is peace. There are two fallacies about peace that we need to address early on if we are going to better understand what it means to be a person of peace. The first thing is that I think we often mistake peace with control. We like to be in control of the things that are going on around us, and this is a very normal impulse that we have. It's a good feeling uh, when we plan things and they go like they should. No major surprises or detours. Control. This, this feeling feels to us like peace. And it feels to us like peace because we don't have to adjust to the unknown. The anxiety and fear that is related to uncertainty is removed when things go to plan. So so we think, and, and this allows us to feel a sense of calm. Well, there is a big problem with tying the concept of peace to control. If there's one thing that 2020 has taught us, it's that control is at best an illusion. Meaning that we only feel that we are in control as long as nothing challenges us, and then we face a year where pretty much everything challenges us. There are too many factors, too many unknowns, too many variables that can easily change whatever course it is that we have chosen, whether it's where we're going to go to dinner, which we can't do right now, or even bigger life things like what we're going to do with our jobs or our careers when maybe those industries are on the verge of shutting down. I mean, shoot, you can get rear-ended on the way to the grocery store, and it will ruin your day. If peace is tied to our sense of control, then that peace is ultimately fragile and destined to fail. And this failure, in turn, creates anxiety, fear, and frustration within us, which leads us to a further lack of peace. So this tells us that peace is not a lack of problems or conflict. Things, peace is not uh, things going how we think they should go. So this takes us to something important. Peace cannot simply be a feeling that we get when things are going the way that we want them to. This is not really peace as much as it just is a lack of adversity. And if we are counting on our feelings or lack thereof to give us peace, we'll be wasting our time because peace will always be fleeting. And we will always be waiting for the next thing to happen or to go right for us. And we need something more than a good feeling if we are going to know peace. Now, as Christians, 
The easiest answer to where do we find peace would be for us to turn to our faith, that it is God who gives us peace. And to be clear, I I think that ultimately this is true. But the thing is that the road to the peace of God is fraught with peril. We don't often speak of it in these terms. We have made a direct correlation between our ability to trust God and the amount of peace we should have. And therefore, if you aren't experiencing the peace of God, it's because you just need to trust God more or have more faith in God or just stop worrying about the things of the world. After all, God is a God of peace and Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But the peace we experience in God is in fact directly related to our faith and trust in Him. There's truth there. And we see throughout the Bible story that that faith and trust is most often proven through adversity. So, the Bible tells us that God constantly put His people into situations that were uncomfortable and that did not provide them with a sense of peace. I mean, Noah had to build an ark because it was going to rain even though he didn't know what rain was. Abraham had to leave his family behind to go somewhere he didn't even know in order to follow God. Gideon was called to lead the Israelites in battle even though he had zero military fighting or even leadership experience. If that weren't bad enough and we could go on and on there, Jesus himself said these words in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Boy, that gives me a peaceful, easy feeling. And yet, we know they don't because they're... They're not supposed to. I mean, Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. He knew how difficult these words would be, and he still said them. In spite of these points, God is still a God of peace, and Jesus is still the Prince of Peace. So maybe the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what does God's peace look like, and how do we experience the peace that Jesus is the Prince of? If it's not what I think it should be, or it's not what I want, then what is it? So what is the first thing that I must do if I want to know the peace of God? The first thing I have to do is that I have to give up on finding peace on earth. I know, just hear me out. We can have peace on earth, but we can't find peace peace on earth. What do I mean? Well, for one thing, the things of the earth don't last. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth 
where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yes, this is about where your heart is and what you value and what you are putting first, but there is something more going on here because Jesus is essentially telling us to not look for peace or fulfillment here because nothing here is going to last. In fact, there are several factors that are going to degrade and break down the things that you could put your trust on in this place. Whether it is moths and vermin or thieves who will break in and steal. The things of the kingdom of the earth are temporary and therefore they will ultimately fail. As an alternative then, you should store up for yourselves things that are going to last. You should find your peace, your fulfillment in the eternal, in heaven. Secondly, even if you do put your stock in heaven, you will still not find peace on earth. Jesus said that he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And his message was plain. If you are going to live for the kingdom of God on the kingdom of earth, you are not going to find peace. The lack of conflict or an easygoing life. Instead, you're going to find the opposite, where even your family is going to be divided one from another. Torn apart by the message of the kingdom. Now I know, I still haven't answered the question about the peace of God what it is and how it changes things for us here. In fact, it sounds kind of like things here are a mess and will only continue to be a mess the longer we are here and we live our, our lives for God. I'm glad you're catching on because that's exactly what the truth is. Okay, so then what is peace and what is the peace of God? Just answer the stinking question. Well, the peace we can have is found in what God has already done and in what God is going to do, not in what happens here. I'm going to say that one more time. The peace we can have is found in what God has already done and in what God is going to do, not in what happens here. First, what God has already done. God has saved us through Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11 put it this way. As Paul is reflecting on his life, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection 
and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul here is telling us how he has found peace. He has found peace in Christ and Christ alone. But how and why? And I'm just going to try to put it simply for us. Paul has seen the value of Jesus and what Jesus has done in bringing him salvation. And that makes everything else pale in comparison. In fact, he views all other things as trash compared to the wonder of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And therefore, there is less conflict inside of him because he knows the truth of Jesus. And again, what is the truth? The truth is that Jesus has made him righteous. Jesus has made him right with God. You see, righteousness is a big problem for us. As as much as we want to overcome the sin in our lives through sheer force of will and Bible study, we are not able to do it. We cannot be righteous on our own. But righteousness does not come from our ability to do everything right. Instead, Paul says, if we believe in Christ Jesus, it is God himself who makes us right through Jesus Christ. It is God who makes us right. This is what he has already done. And think about that for a second. What what a release this could be for you. What... What freedom we have in Jesus Christ, freedom from fear, freedom from failure, freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from living like if the next thing goes wrong, it's going to be the end. We have been made right with God through Jesus Christ, and he has already done this. which leads us to what God is going to do. From 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in, keep, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destructions of the heaven by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. 
You know, it's interesting. The thought of the return of Jesus has often created anxiety instead of peace. Look at some of the images that are mentioned in this passage. The Lord will come like a thief in the night. The world will be destroyed, destroyed by fire. All the elements will melt. All, at times, these images have been used to, shall we say, motivate people to turn their lives to God. But that's not really what this passage is about. You see, God never intended his imminent return, the imminent return of Jesus, to make us anxious. And that's not what this passage is about. In fact, look at verse 9 again. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Look, it's true, we don't know when God is coming, but we do know that the reason it is taking so long is so that everyone will have an opportunity to turn their lives over to him. God does not want anyone to be lost. So yes, the end is coming, but God is going to give us every opportunity to come to know him before the end. So what is the key then to having peace or having this ending bring you peace? The answer is righteousness. I know, not the answer you're expecting, but hear me out. Verses 13 and 14. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends... Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So here's the core principle that he lays out here. Here's what we are to do. We are to live in anticipation of Jesus' return. And by doing this, you will make sure that you are ready, righteous, and that you have nothing to fear. Be right with God and you will have peace. But do you remember what we just said? We can't make ourselves righteous. That's correct. God makes us righteous through Jesus. That is also correct. So this is not really a threat, a warning that we had better be ready? (laughs) No. It's not a threat. It's a promise of what is to come. And what is to come is the best of all things. Paul and Peter, like him, they want us to live in anticipation. Wants us to be ready for the coming of Jesus, looking forward to that day. And that means, as Jesus said, we put all of our treasure, our stock in heaven and not here. And as Paul and Peter say, you live your life knowing that God is going to return in anticipation of his return. You live in the reality of him, letting that reality alter and change everything about who you are and what you do. For Jesus is coming back. And what gives you the peace, the motivation, the drive to live this way? The knowledge that compared to Jesus, everything else is worthless. That God has already made the way for you. And that when he comes to take us home, that is exactly what will happen. What he has done will lead us to what he is going to do. And because of that, Paul tells us that in all things we can rejoice because with God on our side, we have 
a new kind of peace that we cannot find anywhere else. From Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul here tells us what makes the peace of God so special and so different. If we allow ourselves, we can have a peace that no matter what happens, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, no matter how messed up things can be, we can still have peace and rest because we can give up trying to control this life. And we can allow God to take control. And, and you see, this is what I need right here. I don't need to be in control of everything here because that will never work. I don't need the best life here because I'll never have it, no matter how much I have. I don't need to be everything I think I should be here because I will fail and mess that up. I need to let go of trying to have my peace from the earth. I don't need to be looking for it here at all. And if I'm able to do this, I will find the peace that Paul is talking about, the peace of God. And the peace of God is something that goes beyond the earth. In fact, it is a peace that passes understanding. He says that through God... We can have peace when we do not understand things. We can have peace when we're not in control. How is this possible? Because we have a God who is bigger than what is happening to us right now. We have a God who has already solved our biggest problem for us. And we don't have to be responsible for fixing everything. God has already done all that needs to be done. And he promises that what he's done only leads to what he is going to do. That he will return for us to take us out of this place, to go to the home that God has prepared for us. So how do we have the peace of God we rejoice. We rejoice in what God has already done for us through Jesus Christ. We know that we are given His righteousness and not our own. And we live in anticipation of the end because the end is just the beginning of the real story, the new creation. the going home to be with God. And, and knowing this end, knowing that this is going to come, this is what gives us peace. This is what helps us to get up another day, knowing that this world and this place doesn't define us. 
Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see, they'll see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and Their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends to his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the promise that God has already done all that needs to be done in Jesus. That we live in anticipation of what is to come and church, it's coming. And we have peace because our God has done. He continues to do and he will fulfill all that he has promised. So as we take communion together this morning, we remember what God has done through Jesus. Not just the sending of Jesus to this place, but Jesus' journey to the cross, into the grave, and out again as the resurrected Lord and Savior. We celebrate what he has done and we look forward to his coming knowing that as we taste this blood, as we eat of this body, that we are tasting and eating the redemption of our souls and participating in the promise of what is to come. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for Jesus. And God, may we know this morning with all of our hearts that we can only know peace through him. And that this is a good thing, Father. For in Jesus, we find the only thing that lasts. Thank you for sending him here to be born into this world. Thank you for his death. Thank you for his resurrection. And thank you for the promise that we will be resurrected with him one day. 
In Jesus' name, amen.